Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you for the next hour. Bring you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, thank you all for joining me this evening. Very changeable weather over the last few days. Yesterday, very cool but this weekend shows some good signs of improvement, the higher end of the teens for the bank holiday. And that's exactly what we need to give grass growth a much needed boost. Things just lagging a small bit now over the course of the last few days. We just need to get that little bit of heat in the ground to get things moving. Now on to this evening's programme and an Offaly man is in charge of Lakelands Co-op. He took the reins earlier this year and is in the hot seat for the highest turnover in the co-op's history. Their 2022 group turnover stood at 1.9 billion euro and Colin Kelly, their CEO, will join me later to chat about this historic figure and where the co-op is going in the future. The Netherlands is in the news constantly at the moment, but just what is happening with the political landscape there? Rural dwellers and farmers have had enough and the voters are backing them, now yielding some serious power in their parliament. Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmers Journal joins me to chat on what exactly is occurring there and whether we can expect to see the same here in Ireland in the future. Michael Flanagan from County Westmead is a pedigree Angus breeder who also runs the National Hall of Fame Awards and each year gives an award to an individual who has made a significant contribution to rural agri-life. These awards are taking place this weekend. I'll be speaking to Michael a little bit later to chat about the event and also how his pedigree Angus cattle are in serious demand at the moment. As always, text the show with your comments, thoughts or questions to 083 3010 103. Be happy to bring anything to our guests here this evening. Now, to start the programme this evening, we are on the topic of the environment. And in studio here, I have Paul O'Brien from the IFA. Paul, many thanks for taking my call this evening, or for joining me, I should say, this evening. I'm used to saying taking my call. Thank you, MJ, and uh, good evening to all you listeners. Uh, Paul, we have an event coming up in Tullamore in two weeks' time. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But first, uh, and uh, a bit of discourse in relation to uh, Thomond Park a couple of weeks ago. You had uh, um, an event down there in the IFA. Can you tell us uh, what occurred and what came of that, please? OK, well, back in early January, it was, um, MJ, we had a 400 farmers gathered in Thomond Park in Limwick. And really, I suppose we brought all of the players in the whole kind of climate debate to one room in order to have a discussion on how farmers are going to be able to achieve the calculations of this 25% reduction of um, I took, that was appointed to us last year in our sectorial challenges, in the sectorial targets. So everybody was there from Chagas, we had the EPA, we had in the, um, you know, the minister came as well and there was a panel discussions. We had Tom, um, we, we, we had a good amount of people there but really, I suppose the point of this, MJ, and I think this is something that we really want to get through, is that, you know, we have now this sectorial challenge. It's 25%. How, as an industry, have we got the ability to try to be able to do that? There needs to be a, a transition. We agree on all of that. But the asks of farmers have been immense over the last number of years. And the immense, going, the immense challenge that we face is only going to accelerate as these targets need to be met. So it was a good opportunity to get a lot of people into the room and to have a very lively debate. So out of this Thoman Park, we gave it six clear 
actions that we are going to go to the government on. And we are going to effectively say, look, we are prepared as farmers to meet this challenge. But realistically, there are six things there that we would suggest are things that we need to work with the government on, but they need to work with us too. And that's the key thing. If this is to be achieved for everybody, then there needs to be some form of a, a collaboration approach into this and how we can able to deliver those six challenges. And those uh, those challenges, uh, Paul, it says six. <laughs> There's definitely six. Uh, there could be about 60, but to distill them down into six was good going. Uh, what are they roughly? What are your headings of, of those six main challenges? Well, first of all, and uh, I think it's a lot of frustration to farmers, but that the, the whole food debate has seemingly been lost. Where we have now, we have to balance our climate actions and food production. So, yes, we have to achieve a reduction. We have to try to improve our biodiversity levels. We have to try to improve also our kind of our, our losses to rivers and to atmospheric loss of nitrogen. But food production cannot be jeopardised on this journey. So that was the first one. The second one was, look, there's three pillars to sustainability, environmental, social and economic. Not one of those pillars should be put higher than the other. In order for this to work, in order for there to be a vibrant agriculture and a rural economy, then not one of those pillars should be left higher than the other. They should all be able to work in unison. One of the other things, number three, that we looked for was an accurate calculation of our emissions and removals. So as you know, MJ, and your listeners will be very familiar with the fact that, you know, Chuggers are doing these signpost farms where they're taking measurements over the next number of years to give us a figure on what is the really, really happening on farms. And I think that's a key important thing. We have what we, everybody's told what our emissions are, but nobody's been told what our removals are. To give a full and accurate balance, there needs to be both of those figures. So we can once and for all understand, you know, what do we need to do on this journey? I suppose other things then, and look, there was six and I've, I've spoken about three. The fourth one is the risk of carbon leakage. And what that effectively means is that Ireland has a good credentials for growing food. We have a system that is unique in the world. We have the ability to produce lots and lots of grass. And so this is the reason why our dairy production is the best in Europe for emissions profile. And our livestock and our beef sector is number five. So we have a, we have a system that is the envy of lots and lots of countries. So the risk of carbon leakage, if that means that we are de- reduced in our agricultural output that void will be filled by somebody else. Another country will be there to fill that void. The question is, will that be filled with the same sustainable model as we have here in Ireland? Or will the world's emissions be increased in order to feed a growing population, which will be 9.8 billion people by the time we get to 2050? So the question is, is that that can only be done if there's not a risk to carbon leakage. Two other things then. The most important one that will be affecting farmers over the next year will be the land use change. So we there's a, 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 a new sectorial target under LULUCF, land use, land use change in forestry. Now, this goes back to the, I suppose, the removals and the calculations of emissions. What is effectively happening on farms? 
But there's a big, massive climate ambition by the state and by the government at the moment, MJ. We hear about the target for forestry. We hear about the target for, you know, 50,000 hectares of additional land to go into tillage. We look for the big, big aspiration of these big AD plants that are in the programme for government and now in, in, in a climate action plan. So, you know, how is land going to be used in order to fulfil all of those? And look, and we are going to talk about nature restoration um, in a little bit later, and that's another figure too. You know, the amount of lands that will be needed in order for this land restoration, which is the government's ambition and it's the EU's ambition, particularly being driven by the Commission, it's going to be a major, major challenge. And look, and as always, new funding. It's the IFA's role. We have to make sure that farmers are supported in this transition. And it's going to be expensive. There's no doubt about that. But farmers need to be supported on that transition. And say, for example, uh, Paul, look, the, the six areas that you're after distilling it down into, uh, you know, we're all aware of them. But just looking at, for example, the uh, carbon leakage, uh, so if we reduce production here, is it going to come from Brazil or Argentina? Are they going to cut down rainforests or whatnot? Like, is anyone listening, is what I would say, to this in reality? Like, is this just going to be the EU looking at each country, each member state going, right, you're ticking the box here, you're down 20%. Look, if the food comes from uh, Argentina or Brazil or wherever it comes from, we, we're still covering ourselves. Is that really what this is all about? Is anyone actually going to listen to this? That's the question. Well, I suppose that's the challenge of our time as as farm leaders we have to be able to sit down and negotiate this out not only in Brussels but with our own government but the reality is MJ is is that yes you know world emissions are are there if a tree's knocked down in South America and burns that emissions will end up somewhere in the world it's not contained within the region where that emissions is made is, is set so it, it goes into the atmosphere it's blown all around the world and becomes the world's emissions but the reality is, is that for the first time since the Ukrainian invasion were invaded by Russia, that food has now become an issue. It's the first time in, in a long, long time. So there is now a risk. And you can look at the, the way that we've had issues with corn over the last two years now. We have a problem there. Food is a scarce supply certain times. One eighth of the world's tradable calories used to travel through the Black Sea out to the Middle East and North Africa. And once that became distorted as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, then food has to be seen to as it has potentially did not the ability to be produced on a daily basis. Something suddenly could stop. Now, we are producing this in a, in, in a very sustainable way. Our production should not be curtailed as a result of that. And just uh, moving on, Paul, we're just getting a, a bit short on time. At this day, two weeks, look, it ties into all of these points as well. But you have a nature restoration meeting in Tullamore here in two weeks' time, May the 10th. Uh, what exactly is going to be occurring at that, please? OK, well, we're looking for farmers, in particularly in this region. It's in going to be in Tullamore. And it was no coincidence that why Tullamore was picked. You have a lot of the land type in this region that would be looked upon as being able to achieve the nature restoration target. Now, what does nature restoration mean? We have to have 70% of this land type, heavier petia type soil, has to be brought back to a good ecological status by the time we get to 2050. Now, there are targets for 2030 and there are targets for 2040, but the reality is in by the time we get to 2050... 
600,000 hectares, 70% of that will have to be reinstated. Back to a good ecological status. A proportion of that will have to be re-wetted. So we're calling upon farmers in the Midlands to come out in two weeks' time to listen to the policymakers because we will have people here from the Department of Agriculture. We will have people here from the National Parks and Wildlife Service. We believe that Malcolm Noonan, who is the minister who's... Um, you know, who's in charge of the National Parks and Wildlife, he will be coming in on Zoom to talk to the attendees on the night. But it's just to inform people of the potentially damaging, potentially seriously damaging effect that this nature restoration law could have. It's a law, MJ. It will become law. It's not a directive by Europe. So once this is agreed in Brussels with the trilogues, with our own government approving the stance, then at that stage, we have two years to design a plan. And we have to be at a certain stage by the time we get to 2030, 2040 and 2050. Looking looking at those figures, Paul, 70% of 600,000 hectares is 420,000 hectares, which is just about a million acres. Uh, so this is quite a lot of land. There's no question about it. It's 7% of the land mass of the country. So when you look at that, it's a serious, serious... Um, ambition of the Commission. Now, at the moment, this has been discussed in 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 the EU between our, all of our MEPs in in agricultural committees and in environmental committees. But it's the environmental committee are the key drivers of this. So, MJ, two weeks time, I would be encouraging all listeners to this show to come in after the Midlands One Hundred and Three Farm Show and come in to listen to us and just to listen to some of the politicians and also some people who are making a policy on this and let their position as farmers be known. This is potentially very damaging and there is no plan B here. The money looks likely it's going to come from a cap budget that farmers are already receiving. So we need to make sure that as farmers there's no... There's plenty of safety nets there for them so that they're able to continue farming and also receive a benefit for what they're doing in food production. Yeah, 100%, Paul. And that is at this day, two weeks, it's May 10th in Tullamore Court Hotel. And uh, as you quite rightly said, when people are finished listening to Country Life, off they go up to Tullamore Court Hotel. And as you say, this is going to be law. It's something that's going to happen. Paul, I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here in studio. And uh, we'll get an update on that in a fortnight's time. And uh, thank you very much for coming in to speak to us here on the programme. Thank you, MJ. Uh, now, I'm going to shoot to a break and coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Westmead man, Michael Flanagan. He's running the National Hall of Fame Awards this weekend. So stay tuned for that, please. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park, Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, we're moving on to the National Hall of Fame Awards and we have Michael Flanagan on the line. Michael, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Delighted to talk to you, MJ. Uh, your awards are taking place this weekend, Michael. We're going to speak about them in just a moment. But first, uh, you're known also as a pedigree Angus breeder in County Westmead. Can you tell me just a little bit about your herd and uh, when you got started at the pedigree Angus's, Michael? And we'll move on to the awards. Well, I suppose I was I was bred, born and reared with Angus in County Mayo and Cross Malina. And uh, my father, God rest him, used to show uh, pedigree cattle at the shows in Ballina and Cross Malina. And 
uh, Bunny Conlon. But I moved then to Cork with the Department of Agriculture, uh, got into show business after a few years and then decided I'd, I'd do a bit of farming as well after starting the Flanker Warehousing and Distribution Centre in that loan. But the farming was a hobby and still is, but we were very fortunate in uh, we showed at one show last year uh, we won the All-Ireland Angus Championship in Strokestown. So it was with a, a year and a half old heifer, which I'm delighted to say she's gone in calf. But the Angus breed has been in the limelight for the last number of years and bull sales at the moment are just incredible. But it's, I suppose if you stick with something long enough, you'll, you'll get the rewards in June. Yeah, it's, uh, as I had the chairperson of the Angus Society on back maybe last month and we we're speaking on a similar vein about just the appetite that there is at the moment for the Angus breed. It really is just it's the, it's the hottest breed at the moment. Everyone wants it. Dairy farmers want it. Beef farmers want it. And it really is ticking all the boxes. It is indeed. You know, and then, of course, you have the beef end of it, which is a beautiful steak and uh, a roast. You won't beat the Angus for the marbling. And all that helps, I suppose, at the end of the day. But dairy farmers buying a bull, they should always buy a good bull uh, with good figures and produce something that's saleable and that's eatable at the end of the day. Yeah, 100%. Now, Michael, uh, as you say, you're, busy, we're, you're a busy man. Uh, you have the Flancare um, business, you're running your Anguses, and you're also then involved in the National Hall of Fame Award. So as the old adage uh, goes, if you want something done, ask a busy man. Uh, you're kept going. This weekend, you have your event coming up. Can you tell us, please, a little on the background, just at the National Hall of Fame Awards? How long are they on the go, Michael, and what was the impetus yeah, behind we, them? Yeah, we started in, in 2003, Um and we had two uh, gentlemen in their twilight years judging, Jerry Mulligan and Michael Hannon from Limerick. Jerry Mulligan, well-known from Drummond and Leitrim. But it lashed rain all day, JJ, and we had a one little bird caravan. So the boys tagged out, went out and did their job, came back in, and we had a few drinks. And at the end of it all, we decided that those two gentlemen should be acknowledged and their equals for the work they're doing for the breed, for showing, adjudicating and breeding. So I wrote to 11 uh, bovine secretaries. I got uh, nine replies back and we started off with Tom Parlin presenting the awards back in 2003. So this year is our 19th year and uh, I never thought or realised that we'd be go- going this far. But thank God, with the help of our sponsors, which are vital, uh, we have uh, FBD as lead sponsor, um, which is great because um, we'd be expecting on uh, Sunday night in the region of 350 to 400 guests there in the Sheraton Hotel. We have... Um, 24 awards to be given out in total. And uh, Adam Woods is the beef editor with the Farmer's Journal. He's very kindly come along to present the awards. In the bovine section, MJ, we have 11 uh, breed societies. In the equine section, we have three breed societies. And in the ovine section, we have eight 
breed societies. And then we have uh, a Farmer's Oscar Award and a National Hall Lifetime Achievement Award. It's a busy night, Michael. There's no question about it. Uh, Three thousand four hundred people. Adam Wood's going along to 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 MC it for you. It's a it's a big, big, big event, and there's going to be lots and lots of people at it. Uh, busy few days ahead now. Are you looking forward to it? Oh yeah, it, it's tremendous, and it's great to see those people in the bovine equine and ovine industries being acknowledged for the work they're doing. Um, they they just love to attend, and I remember. One year, there was uh, a farmer from the Wexford area in his 90s. took him about three minutes to get from the chair to the podium on two sticks. He got a standing ovation. And it's the likes of that, MJ, that we said, look at, we have to keep this going. And thanks to our sponsors, FBD, KeePak, Certified Irish Angus Producer Group, uh, ABP, and... Arriva homeland. Without those, I suppose, we wouldn't be here where we are and our sincere thanks to all our sponsors. Very good. Well, Michael, I'm going to leave it there. We're just out of time. I'm going to wish you all the best for your event this weekend. And uh, you're undergoing 19 years. Long may it continue. And uh, many thanks for joining me here on the programme. Thank you, and thanks for your time. Uh, Michael Flanagan there from the National Hall of Fame Awards and they are taking place this weekend if you're interested in attending if you just google National Hall of Fame Awards they'll pop up still a few tickets there not many actually uh, but still a few and it is on the go as Michael said 19 years and it is representing all that is good about the different bovine, equine and ovine industries. Now, coming up after the break, I'm going to be speaking with Colin Kelly. He is an awfully man and he's the boss of Lakelands and they've just announced their financial figures for 2022 with a €1.9 billion Euro turnover. It's their biggest figure to date, so we're going to hear all about that in just a moment. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to milk and we have Offaly native Colin Kelly on the line, the CEO of Lakelands. Colin, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No problem, MJ. Great to talk to you. Uh, uh, more than welcome, uh, Colin. Delighted to have you on, uh, especially a, a Midlander in a, in a big position uh, like the one you're in. And we're going to talk about it in just a moment and your financial results for Lakelands. But first, as I said, you're an awfully man. You're from Lusma. How did you get to this current position, Colin? Where did you start off and where did your career bring you uh, on the meandering path to where you are now? Yeah, I've got a finance background, MJ. So went to college in UL, always had an interest in finance, ultimately trained as an accountant with Delight. Um, when I was finished there in terms of four-year training contract, I joined Irish Dairy Board, as it was then, or NUA. Today, many of you will know them as the owner of the Kerrygold brand. I spent 11 years there, very varied experience, started off in finance and then moved into general management roles. In the 11 years, I spent seven of them living outside of Ireland, two of them in the UK and five of them in the US. So ultimately, I got my, my dairy grounding through or NUA. Obviously, growing up in Lusma, rural Ireland, very familiar with farming, see the value that it has to the community. So always had an interest in community-based businesses, which obviously Lakeland Dairies is, merge that with the financial experience and also the international experience. That's ultimately what's brought me to where I am today. 
Yeah, very good. And uh, Lakeland then, it wasn't uh, too long ago, uh, Colin, I was speaking to your predecessor, Michael Hanley. It could have been two years ago, possibly three years ago, but Lakeland's had just hit a billion in turnover. Uh, and now, uh, fast forward on those couple of years later, 1.9 billion. Uh, unbelievable year for 2022. Yeah, 22 was a year like no other in terms of commodities, MJ. When you look at our revenue, just over 1.9 billion that's up 590 million on last year in percentage terms that's plus 45 percent volume was up but also there's a huge part in terms of where commodity markets have gone over the last 12 to 18 months february 2022 is the crucial moment with russia's invasion of ukraine that's seen a huge increase in input costs it started off with feed and fertilizer it moved into energy we know energy looks impact it's having on households but particularly on the farming industry as a result that meant the commodities got a lot more expensive there was a number of pieces happening in that if you think back to april may last year when there was peak milk in europe there was fears that there wouldn't be enough energy to dry the milk that was produced on farm so that created a real nervousness among buyers it was against the backdrop of covid not being too far in the distant past worries about supply chains cheap money so it didn't cost a huge amount to carry inventories and markets were rising so it made sense for people to continue to buy inventory so that's why we've seen such an increase in market prices it ultimately started off from russia ukraine in february if i was talking to you in january last year i would have said that 22 was going to be an unremarkable year in terms of pricing and in terms of dairy margins but ultimately it turned out to be an extraordinary year. And that's a huge driver of our revenue. In a normalized year with where our business is at today, I would expect that our revenue will be somewhere in the region of 1.6, 1.7 billion. Um, so still a very, very significant business. Huge growth, as you said, over the last number of years, but a little bit inflated by the general surge in commodities over the last 18 months. Yeah, just looking at the figures here, just on the milk side of the business. So you collect over 2 billion litres of milk from 3,200 farm families across 16 counties. You come down well into the Midlands here. There's lots of suppliers down around me. I know I often see the Lakelands lorry driving by. Uh, that alone, just the 2 billion litres, putting all your other operating divisions to one side, that's a massive amount of milk just to handle, to process and to get out to the export to over 100 countries worldwide so that business alone is massive then put on top of it I see here the other uh, areas food ingredients food service consumer foods agribusiness this is a massive massive I know it's a co-op it's a massive massive enterprise what sort of employees are you employing uh, in total in Lakelands Colin? Yeah so we would have in the region of 1250 employees MJ that increases then when you get into peak milks in, in early May and out across the, the summer absolutely a huge business 365 days a year and ultimately a credit to the people who are milking cows each day because the reality is we couldn't build a business that's been built in Lakeland without the quality of milk that's ultimately produced by the farm families. We talk about 3,200 dairy farms, largely farm families, community uh, involvement, family businesses, some with outside labour but a lot being managed within the family. So it's the lifeblood of community, as you said, 16 counties. We're processing in the region of 20% of the milk that's produced on the island of Ireland. And we're probably in a unique position in that we're one of the few cooperatives that has milk 
both north and south of the border and we're certainly the most significant cross-border dairy processor. Looking at those other operating divisions then that you have, Colin, in the ingredients, the food service, consumer foods, uh, what are the big growth areas there? What are you seeing in the last year, year and a half, where you're saying to yourself, right, this is it now, this is what we have to get into, there's money to be made here? Yeah, I guess the, the reality is when we look at milk MJ over the last decade in Ireland, milk on the island has increased by 70%. That has meant that innovation has been key over the last number of years. If you look at the trends, and I think COVID has maybe muddied the waters a little bit, some things are fads, some things are trends. There's been a huge indulgence trend. So we would see cream sales being particularly good. You have people going back to drinking liquid milk, something that maybe people were having on the move in previous times. Now people are sitting down, they're having breakfast at home, they're having more meals at home, there's more working from home. So it's more lifestyle shifts, I would say, MJ, than huge changes in the types of products. If you look at the products that we make in terms of butters and, and powders in the main, developing world, developed world, still buying the same type of products, but I would say people are consuming them in a slightly different way and COVID has definitely changed consumer behaviour and lifestyle patterns. Then if we look at the, uh, look, you made, you, you turned a lot of money, you made good money last year, so if we break it down, if a dairy farmer did the same, they might go and they might buy maybe a new tractor or buy some new machinery, build a different shed, update their premises, whatever the case may be. What are Lakeland's going to do then with this money, the, these figures? Where's it going to go? Yeah, if we look over the last number of years, Lakeland's invested a significant amount of money, as has all the dairy processors on the island, to handle the additional milk that has come post quota. So, We've invested in the region of 300 million since 2015 on new equipment. That's ultimately been funded by farmers and by shareholders. So it's very important to say that ultimately the farmers are the people who fund Lakeland dairies. When we look out over the next number of years, MJ, I wouldn't be sitting here saying to you that I envisage us going on a significant CapEx project, certainly not from a capacity perspective. We look at where the environmental constraints are coming there's likely to be the same or maybe even a little bit less milk on the island over the next number of years so I'm not sitting here saying that we're going to have a big capex project but the reality is we had 22 million of additions last year we'd probably have a similar number this year so they're big big numbers maybe not massive numbers in the context of our business but we don't envisage over the next number of years spending uh, 100 or 150 million on stainless steel in the form of dryers or butter turns or whatever it might be. Are you looking at picking up additional businesses that you might be able to add value to with some of your own products? Good question, MJ. We're in the middle of a a strategic review at the moment. Ultimately, what comes out of that, uh, I'm not sure. If you look at it, people naturally think that we're always in a space from an acquisition perspective. The reality is at the moment, money is very, very expensive. This year is probably a year where people are looking to to manage, we're looking to support our farmers, shareholders and suppliers in whatever way we can because this is going to be a much tougher year on farmers in particular than it was last year. So the focus is more on that support than anything else at the moment.
Yeah. Um, uh, finally, Colin, look, it's a, bu- it's a busy job. Uh, there's no question about it. Huge turnover, lots of employees. Uh, what's a typical day look like for yourself, Colin? What are you talking about on a, on, on a given day? What time are you getting up? What time are you finishing up at? How do you manage it all over the course of the day? Yeah, it varies wildly, MJ, if I look at him four months into the new job. So it's probably not a typical routine as of yet. But to give you a sense, last week I was in China uh, meeting a number of customers that we have there the previous week. I was in the, the US. Um, we have a subsidiary over there, a business that we're involved in this week. We had our AGM today. So there's no typical day, but um, you can be sure that the people within Lakeland areas are working probably similar hours to ultimately what our farmer shareholders are doing and ultimately everybody looking to achieve the same goal and that's to, to maximise shareholder value but not just to do that but to pay as competitive a milk price as we possibly can as well Well finishing up on that uh, Colin that's, you took the words out of my mouth we're 26th of April today uh, tell me what will Lakelands be paying on the um, 26th of June perhaps uh, for milk where's it going to be two months time Yeah very hard to say with uh, with definity on that MJ markets are significantly weaker than they were last year ultimately when we are setting the milk price, we're sitting down with all the information available to us in a given month management team in conjunction with the board. So it's very hard to say where we'll be at that point. But what I would say is that the medium to long-term view for dairy, to me, is very good. Dairy is in a good space. We produce a very sustainable product in Ireland, extremely high quality. I talked to you about being in the U.S., and been in China, people wouldn't be consuming Irish products if they weren't of that standard and carrying a premium to some other countries across the world. So we may have some challenges this year when we look at it versus last year in terms of milk pricing, but I'd assure people and I'd be very confident that the medium to long term for dairy and for food in general is very good. And we're going to see population growth over the next number of decades and we're potentially getting into a point where capacity or production of food is going to be constrained by the environment. So hopefully that should be good for returns, ultimately for margins, for processors and most importantly for farmers. Very good, Colin. I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here this evening on the programme and really enjoyed that rundown, I have to say. And look, we'll speak to you again here at some stage on Country Life. Thank you, MJ. Take care. Uh, Colin Kelly there, CEO of uh, Lakelands, Offaly Man, and uh, in the job about four months. Wouldn't push on the milk price. Uh, we had CEO of Arabon uh, last week, and he was a little bit more forthcoming, and I felt it was around maybe late 30s for the next couple of months. Uh, the one thing I would take from that, and I kind of take it from both of those CEOs over the last couple of weeks, is that this year is a year where both of the businesses are really kind of, look, made good money last year, but going to consolidate a little bit this year going to hang on to a no major spends and I suppose if you break it down and you come back down to dairy farm level it's probably going to be the same mindset on a lot of dairy farms made good money last year not really sure what this year is going to bring so let's just wait and see and we'll average out maybe the two years uh, together and not stretch ourselves too much that kind of seems to be the general tenant of what both uh, the CEO of Arabon and the CEO of Lakelands 
have been saying over the last couple of weeks here on the programme. Now, going to shoot to an ad and Pat O'Toole from the Farmer's Journal is going to join me to have a chat about the Netherlands, see what exactly is happening out there with the political landscape and will the same occur in Ireland? So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're welcome back to Country Life on Midlands 103. Now, moving on to the Netherlands, and we have Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmers Journal on the line. Pat, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No problem, MJ. Uh, Pat, Netherlands getting an awful lot of airplay at the moment. Uh, print media, uh, TV, whatever, wherever you turn, you're seeing it. If we rewind the clock for people who may not be familiar with what exactly is happening out there, uh, what is occurring with the political landscape, shall we say, in the Netherlands at the moment? A bit of an earthquake. So um, a party formed in 2019 called the BBB, um, the uh, Farmer Citizen Party, or Farmer Citizen Movement, actually, to be more correct, is the direct translation, founded by a woman called Caroline van der Plas, who's half Irish. And it was a response, I suppose, to the farmer protests which were taking place at the time that were widely reported by ourselves and others uh, against fairly stringent um, environmental restrictions which were coming in around farming. So um, it, it was a sort of a single issue party at the very beginning. Uh, there was a national election in 2021. They won one seat and got less than 1% of the vote. That seat was Caroline van der Plassen. She was the only BBB uh, MP in the 150-strong uh, parliament. Fast forward to last month <coughs> and there was an election in... Um, in, in late March, and uh, in that election, the BBB uh, fielded candidates uh, all over the country. It was local elections. Um, they got they topped the poll in every single one of the 12 provinces. Um, they um, will have a, the largest number of councillors uh, in every single one of the 12 provinces, some of which are very urban. The Netherlands is a much more urban country than Ireland. It's smaller than Ireland, significantly smaller, <coughs> but there's almost 18 million people there, a lot of heavy industry, but also is the second largest exporter of food in the world. Very intensive agriculture and a lot of people employed in the agri-food sector. So anyway, the BBB, <coughs> not only have they got huge regional representation, but the Senate, the upper house in, in the Dutch parliament, is elected directly by the local electors and they have... Uh, they will put 17, that will take place next month in early May, and the BBB will put 17 people into the 75-strong Senate, making them by far the largest party. They'll have almost as many seats as the four-party coalition, which is currently forming the government. And we're mid-term, we're uh, over a year and a half out from the next general election, which is every four years. Uh, But already, all the momentum is around the BBB, and they will be the power brokers in the next Dutch parliament if they can maintain their level of support. So it is a huge uh, shockwave to the Dutch electoral system in what is the most urban and the most liberal of countries. A question, I wonder, well, a couple of questions, but one that springs to mind is for all these councillors got elected, I wonder where are they coming from? I wonder what their jobs are, what do they do? You know, usually in Ireland, if someone's a councillor, they've ran before, uh, you know, they might have been involved in it and whatnot. To get that influx of people into it, kind of from a, a, a possibly a back a non-political background, that alone uh, was great going. Yeah, and I suppose we saw a parallel 
in the um, general election uh, here in 2020 when practically you know, everyone who ran for Sinn Féin uh, seemed to get elected to the Dáil. There were a number of constituencies where Sinn Féin would have won a second seat had they had a second candidate. Um, and you know, we got a whole slew of new uh, TDs into the Dáil from Sinn Féin's electoral success. Um, some of whom had some experience with local government, some had very little. Uh, and <clears throat> that's the dynamic, I suppose. So the um, yeah, the BBB have uh, over 180, I think, councillors, and the, um, but they have um, they they ha- have yet to reveal themselves. They were endorsed by people from the far right in other countries, especially uh, the Italian Prime Minister. Um, Donald Trump spoke warmly of them because they were seen as right of centre and a reaction to um, the uh, you know the the environmental uh, green agenda. Now that needs some qualification because what Caroline van der Plas herself would say is that they're not saying that climate change isn't real. They're not saying that climate change uh, can't shouldn't be tackled and can't be tackled. What they're saying is the pace of change being forced on agriculture and on rural uh, society and communities is too great and the level of support is insufficient, which is the kind of message that we're hearing from rural Ireland consistently, <coughs> from and politicians, from farm organisations, from Mocker today outside the, the, the House of Parliament here in, in the Dáil. And Pat, that leads me to my uh, next question. Is this something you feel you could see occurring in Ireland? There's definitely an appetite for it. There's no question about it. Yeah, I mean... We're going to have extra seats at the moment. The Boundary Commission are debating and deliberating how they redraw the constituencies. There's going to be a lot of change in the next election. Uh, as our population is growing, we're going to have to increase the number of TDs and we're going to have to redraw the, the, the constituency map. That will have an effect. We're seeing politicians stepping away from Fine Gael. Michael Creed, the former agricultural minister, announced on Monday he's stepping down at the next election. John Paul Phelan last week said the same in Carlo Kilkenny. Um, the the tide is out at the moment for Fine Gael in particular and to a lesser extent for Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin are riding high. But we have to remember that there are 22 identifiable independent TDs in the Dáil, um, most of whom were elected as independents. We've had Mark McSharry um, has become an independent, uh, not entirely by choice uh, in the lifetime of this Dáil, but most of those independents would fit into the broad spectrum of what the BBB are talking about. Uh, people like uh, Matty uh, McGrath, the Healy Rays, Richard O'Donoghue, Carol Nolan and Lee Shoffley, um, uh, <coughs> and Michael Fitzmaurice, who is openly speaking of uh, forming a party. We've had the Farmers Alliance are meeting in Nace on Sunday. They met in Athlone and had a couple of hundred people in the room uh, two weeks ago. So, you know, there are things happening. But how we accommodate this party within a sort of a crowded political spectrum and with the presence of so many very strong individuals uh, representing rural Ireland as independents, I'm not sure. But things are certainly happening and they're going to continue to happen. And on, on that, Pat, I'm just going to have to leave it there because I'm, ha- I'm going to finish with Watch This Space. Really interesting piece, Pat. No yeah. doubt something we're going to be speaking about again. But I'm going to just say many thanks for joining me here this evening on the programme. You're very welcome. 
Uh, Pat O'Toole there from the Irish Farmers Journal just out of time with Pat but uh, what an interesting area that is and we're just seeing the uh, massive amount of support that that uh, farmer citizen movement is after getting in the Netherlands could we see something like this in Ireland in the next period of time I, I think yes to be honest uh, definitely appetite for it that's it for this evening many thanks to my guests Pat O'Toole Colin Kelly Michael Flanagan and at the start of the hour we have Paul O'Brien here in studio show is repeated on Sunday morning at 7am until 8am I'll be back with just time next week as always uh, I hope you have a good week you can catch us wherever you get your podcasts if you put in MJ space Cleary we will pop up C-L-E-R-Y and I'll talk to you in seven days good night and God bless Country Life on Midlands 103 brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands W. Orshaw.ie.